This morning, we're continuing our series, uh, The Emotional Roller Coaster Emotions. And last week, we talked about doubt, and this week, we're going to talk about depression and suicide, as Simon told us earlier. And it's a hard topic to talk about. It's a hard topic to bring up. It's a hard topic to open up about. But we as Christians, we should lovingly talk and be open, authentic about these things. And if you, in the Bible, and if you especially read the Psalms, David was open about talking about pain and hurt and suffering and questioning and doubt. And that's why we're on these, this emotional roller coaster. Why we're talking about these things is because we should, and it's okay. Our first scripture this morning comes out of the Psalms, and it comes from David, and it comes in a place where he was waiting on God. And he was waiting on God to do things in his life. And David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. And as David cries out, so do people in the New Testament. So do people all over the Bible. And in 1 Peter, Peter's, they're talking about how we need to lean on God. And while the scriptures don't cure us or, or we're not always healed of the things in our lives or the pain, we always have the rock to stand on or the God to lean on. And Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, and he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He wants you to lean into him. Let, our, let us join our hearts together in prayer. God, today we come to this place. We come to this place where singing that you are the God of miracles and you're a God who chases after us. So even in times we don't feel it, or even in time where we're questioning, or feeling sad, or feeling depressed, God, let us know that you are the God of miracles, and you are the God that chases after us, and you are the God that loves us. God, let us wait on you, wait for you to come into our lives, to set our feet on the rock, no matter how long it takes. God, we love you. And God, we ask that you would capture our hearts so that we can cast our anxieties on you, that we can lean into you, and we can depend on you. Because God, you, you are a God. You are good. And as our memory verse says, you work for the good for your people, for those who believe in him. Help us to be those people who believe in you today. And as Pastor Mike comes up here and as he comes to share your words, let those words reign true in our lives. Let us hear those words and let us have a prayerful heart for those who suffer with depression or if we ourselves suffer. Let us have grace for ourselves. Let us have care for ourselves. Because God, we know that no matter what, you love us. Let your words reign in this church today. 
In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, it's uh, great to be in worship today. There we go. I'm on. Right? I can't hear myself up here, so I trust you. Um, one of the things uh, I want to begin with today is uh, sharing that uh, this week, earlier or earlier this week, our, our choir director, Peggy Robinson-Kranz, and most of you come to 1015, I understand that, but our choir director has been with us a couple, two and a half years now. Um, Peggy Rosencrantz, and uh, she's needing to retire. And so next week, we're going to have a celebration of her ministry here at Marion Methodist out in the center between our two worship services. So uh, come a few minutes early. Uh, there'll be cake. So, you know, who doesn't like cake on a, on a Sunday, uh, Sunday morning? Uh, I want to invite you to that. Um, there's one le- uh, third scripture that we want to, uh, to read, and I want to share that with you. Uh, right now, it comes from uh, Romans chapter 8. We've been learning Romans chapter 8, verse 26. You know, um, all things work together for good, for good for those who love the Lord who are called according to his purpose. A few verses later, this comes up. For I am, never, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. So it's a, a litany of all the things in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no thing in heaven above, in earth below, in all the things that surround it that can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. I'd encourage you to ingest that verse. I'd encourage you to write that down because if somebody or you, somebody in your circle of friends or you, struggle with feeling depressed or struggle feeling far off with God, just saying there is no thing you can do to push yourself outside of God's love for you. There's the old expression, God loves you and there is nothing you can do about it because he's not going to stop. So please hear that. Today we continue our second in a series called The Emotional Roller Coaster. The Emotional Roller Coaster is, uh, of course, we see kind of a picture up here, but sometimes when we get to things like depression, it's kind of like the duck on the water, you know? We see the duck, and he looks all serene and just kind of slowly moving through the water, and he looks good on the up, upside. But if you see below the water, those, those web feet are just paddling around. We can't see it, but that's what's moving them. So we begin here. Anxiety and depression usually don't look like we think they will. They usually don't look like we think they will. The person suffering from depression or the person suffering from anxiety is not the person you suspect will be depressed. Let me give you an example. Have you seen this commercial lately? That this is how we want people to see us. I'm happy, I'm fine. You know, you know how prevalent depression is now? And how important this has become? I saw this commercial on a football game the other day. That means that men and women need to be admitting we've got a problem here. That we like to look better than we feel. We, we put up a facade. Sometimes we say, you know, we, we, we want people to think we're all right because oftentimes people look at us and this is what they see. And they say to us, you can't depre- be depressed. You seem happy all the time. And that's because we put on that facade. 
And I'm asking you and encouraging you. I know for propriety and all that, we like to do that. But it's time to set some of that down in the name of Jesus Christ. Statistics say that we work and we play and we live. And a few moments ago, we were singing shoulder to shoulder in worship with people who are internally dying while putting on a facade. And we cannot see that anything is wrong with them. We cannot see the hurt that is churning inside of them. When the famous, like Kate Spade or Anthony Bourdain, commit suicide, for a brief moment, depression comes, occupies the public consciousness. It's in the, it's in the magazine racks as you check out. It comes across your Facebook, internet feed, but it's gone by the end of the next news cycle. Kessler and Murray, that's a two people, wrote a study recently that had this. 17% of Americans experience depression, and it ranks second among illnesses and injuries as a cause of disability. Second. So we can't say. <laughs> it's just in your head. As a matter of fact, I believe it's a sin when we say to someone, hey, that's just in your head. So today I'm going to take uh, the, the moments that God's granted me and that you've given to me as the leader of this congregation to share one Christian pastor's understanding and approach to depression and suicide so let's go first mental illness is not a sin i would love to have this be a repeat after me but you may not agree with me but i believe this to be true mental illness is not a sin there is an unhelpful stigma within the christian church that says real christians aren't depressed that is painfully and incorrectly been shared many many times I read a whole bunch of, of blogs in the last two weeks about depression and Christianity, and I'm sure you could and can too. But what you'll find is that about 10 to 15% of those say that real believers that ha- have hope in the gospel don't get depressed. I say real people who write blogs don't have a clue. I mean, really. That, that, I mean, real people that believe in the, in, in the gospel, they say don't get depressed. And Christian leaders and sometimes well-meaning lay, lay people, believers can worsen the effects of depression on a person. They can, can, can take a depressed person and actually push them down when they say things like this. Listen, if you're depressed, just pray harder. Listen, if you're depressed, just believe more. Believe stronger. Grow your faith in such a way that that will flee from you. But mental Ill, illness, like depression and anxiety, are not sins. They are not sins. Your friend gets cancer. Do you immediately walk up to them and say, what'd you do wrong? What'd you do to cause this? And yet, I've seen this more times than not. I mean, I've like witnessed this, so I know it happens more times than a few. You'll feel someone that says, I am so depressed. And they say, well, what'd you do wrong? That's like when Jesus meets some, some guys and, and, and one of them's all broken up. And one says to him, who sinned, him or his father? What did you do to cause this? In fact, hear this, because you're the faithful. You're the kind of people that would get up when it's six below zero wind chill and come to church. So that counts you as faithful, right? In fact, the faithful suffer depression at a higher volume because of their sensitivity to evil and sin in the world. Did you know that? The faithful, that, that would be the Christians, the Muslims, the Jews that are faithful, suffer depression at a higher volume because of their sensitivity to evil in the world. Here's a difficult truth. 
that I'm going to take you behind the veil just a little bit. And I will tell you this, you're not going to want to hear what I tell you next. Among Methodist clergy, every once in a while we can say, we're number one. We're number one. That's because Wellmark, Thar and Schur, has told us that there is no group within their care by volume that takes more medicine for hypertension and depression than Methodist preachers. Isn't that kind of disrupting? It, it slays my soul that so many of my brothers and sisters in, in ministry suffer with that. It's not really the thing you want to go around saying, we're number one. But what I'm telling you is, <clears throat> mental illness is, is not a sin. No one is immune from it. No one's immune from, from depression, anxiety, or darkness walking through your door. Even the most he- helpful, the most faithful, the most loving heart might have it walk in. And the thing about depression is it doesn't pass by very quickly. It sticks around. So when mental illness is treated like a sin, it leads to alienation. It prevents sufferers from seeking treatment. It prevents sufferers from being honest and transparent about what's going on there. And it alienates them from the community of faith. And when you're being alienated, when you're given the outside treatment, the outsider treatment, eventually you're going to become an outsider. So Christians, we need to pay heed to this matter. Depression is not a character defect. It is not a spiritual disorder. It is not an emotional defect. And certainly it is not a choice. If you are depressed or know people that are depressed among us, you know that they would not pick that. There are other disorders that we might pick if we had that choice, but we don't get a choice. But depression is not a choice. Asking a a depressed person to say, when you, I mean, I've heard this said, people go up and say, well, try to look on the bright side. That is like saying to someone that's bleeding, try to stop bleeding. Try to not be so depressed. Well, try to stitch your arm back on. Well, that's not how it works. It's hard. It's deep. It's thick. Depression is the most prevalent hidden disability in our world, North American Christians. Since I mentioned pastors earlier, here's a guy named, a pastor named Todd Peppercorn. Cool name for a pastor. I just get an average Welsh-based name, but Peppercorn, you, you would remember Pastor Peppercorn. <laughs> pastor Peppercorn's going to preach today on the power of prayer. Yeah, that just went on the internet. Sorry about that. Pastor Todd Peppercorn of his own depression said this. It is a frightful disease of the mind, turning one inward, sucking out the very marrow of a personality until there is nothing left but darkness. It is a great weight that never lets up, never releases the sufferer from its crushing power. So it's important for us to take a moment and distinguish depression from grief. And sadness, which are appropriate responses to, to, to uh, a broken world. Sometimes we have events come by, wh- whether it's the death of a friend or loss of a job or some sort of thing like that, that causes us sadness and grief. But depression differs from, from grief and sorrow in this way. Tears flow too long. For reasons we can't figure out, for reasons we can't put our finger on. They persist long after whatever wound happened has healed. And no matter how earnestly a person strives to free themselves from the depths of it, 
Every single day dawns bleaker, less sunlight, not more. And things that once inspired a person, once that brought great deep passion to their heart, lose their influence and lose their passion. Mundane tasks like getting up and getting dressed or going to work feel impossible or undoable. There was a preacher who lived 150 years ago, died 150 years ago, lived sooner than that, named Charles Spurgeon. He wrote this. The flesh can only bear a certain number of wounds and no more. Yeah, of course, we know that. The body will die. If you get a certain number of wounds, it will just die. But the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and do it over and over and over again. And this is what the depressed person, the person that's overcome with anxiety, feels that their soul bleeds over and over and over again. Sufferers of depression cannot control their descent into the darkness. They want it to stop. And you know that, some of you that are in it. They want it to stop. And they can't wretch it themselves from its clutches by their sheer will. And the suicide rate among depressed persons is 27 times the general population. A depressed person is 27, per- 27 times more likely to commit suicide, to suicide themselves, than the general population. And we must address it. And it's terrifying to address it because I just told you about the statistics among United Methodist pastors, of which I am one. So a number of years ago, since I've been at Marion, but probably, probably 10 years ago, a decade or so ago, we had three of our pastors, and I could name all of them, that suicided themselves in one year while they were leading congregations. They were faithful people. They were people that everyone in the, in, in, the car, in the community of faith, every other pastor, if they'd have called us, we'd have dropped anything to go to them right away. And yet, they felt that suicide was the answer to the questions of their lives. So they brought all the pastors. I've never been at a Methodist pastor's meeting where all of us showed up. But we all showed up at the Aldersgate Church in Urbandale. And our leaders got up into the front and they would begin to talk about that descent into depression and darkness that was so prevalent among us because of our use of antidepressants and whatnot, and we would get this close to being real, and then this level of uncomfortableness, this, this candy coating would come out, and someone would say, well, let's sing a song, and we'd sing, what a friend in Jesus, and it went on all day like that. We would get right there to the point where we should cry, and let snot run out of our noses, and hug, and, and, and encourage each other, and help each other, and really reach out to other. But even the Methodist preachers, led by bishops and whatnot like that, all big wucky wucks and mucky mucks, we only wanted to go so close to it, because we knew it was on fire, and if we picked it up, it was going to hurt. But I got to tell you, that was my most disappointing moment in ministry because there was the leaders of the church unafraid to deal with what bothered us and what affects all of the collective us. We need to talk. I was pleased to see on... uh, on uh, Facebook this week that someone said about last week's sermon, we're getting pretty real and raw and it's hitting our hearts at Marion Methodist. So we're not afraid to be real and raw and I hope this hits somebody's hearts. And I have this word to say to any of you that are watching 
Any of you are here, any of you that are watching on Facebook Live are going to see this later on YouTube, and I hope some of you share that with people. If you're thinking about suicide, if you are thinking about suicide, if it is on the menu of things you might do next, reach out to anyone. You feel like you're all alone in this, but I will tell you this because it's happened in my life and it's probably happened in most adult lives in here that we know people that have suicided themselves and we would have dropped anything and everything. As a matter of fact, if somebody called me right now, I would say you people are on your own because somebody needs me. And if you're, if you're, in, the, if you're in the edge of it, you call anybody in here, anybody you know, and say this is my reality, I need help now because all we need to do in the meantime is get to tomorrow. I have stood in front of youth camps, but I say it in front of adults too. Never, ever, ever, ever make a decision today in the you version of today that the tomorrow version of you or the 10-year version for you can't readjust it. Don't ever make a decision like that in, the you, in, in today's version of you that cannot be undone or rethought by the later version of you. It's absolutely critical to hear this message because I would tell you, I, I, I would, I, matter of fact, I'll dismiss any of you if I asked the question and said, is there anybody here that if one of their friends, one of their family members, one of their coworkers, somebody on the street said, hey, I'm thinking about suiciding myself, who would not get up and drop everything? I think everybody in here would say, yeah, I'll do it. So you need to hear that if you're on the edge of that. There are strangers, there are friends, there are relatives that would drop everything. You need to understand you are loved by the people of God. And you need to know that you are not a burden to us. We will help you. And anybody tells you they're a burden, send their name to me. Because suicide is not the only answer. Whatever you're facing, suicide is not the only answer that's available to you, no matter what the question is, no matter what the struggle is. There are other answers, and we can help you get to them. It'll be hard, but we want the sun to come up another time so we can work on it. Because here's what we know as people of faith. The Bible does not present, provide easy answers for the depressed person. You know, we've got these cute coffee cup verses. Be anxious about nothing. Read one of them this morning. Do not worry about your life. But every single one of those can be taken out of context. And give the sufferer the message that not obeying God is sin and that God's not with them in their illness and nothing could be farther from the truth do you remember uh, you know we just sang a minute ago there's no shadow you won't light up mountain you won't climb up coming after me there's no lie you won't tear down coming after me and so on and so forth you see you see the Lord God comes after us he, he chases us down and we understand that when, when we see that, that in scriptures there is dread that comes with depression and anxiety. And it's not an easy one and done tattoo, coffee cu- cup, t-shirt verse that will get us out. I mean, here we have King David, which we know is one of the faithful leaders of the church. Matter of fact, we're going to preach a sermon series about how he did and stuff like that. But here's King David understanding that God's hand is not always apparent for the person that's suffering from depression. David laments, I'm forgotten by God. I mean, here's David. He's the one that wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. And then later he says, I'm forgotten by God. I don't feel him. I don't sense him. I don't see him anywhere around. 
because <laughs> severe depression is beyond description. You can't write down how you're feeling. You can't explain it to another, which is why we need to just be <laughs> with others sometimes. And the truth is, if you look at the wealth of Scripture, and I do, that there are many of our foremothers and forefathers there are many in this church right now. There are many in the predecent, pre, uh, preceding bodies of this church that would be considered saints who struggled with depression and anxiety. And so, let's take a look at what a Christian response to this can be. Christians in the church must try not to fix depression. We're a bunch of fixers. Got a problem. We'll put a, let's put a Band-Aid on it. Look on the happy side. Put on a happy face. Christians in the church are to do something much harder, much more important than that, which is to provide a safe harbor where the struggle is acknowledged and hope and help and love are offered. I know there is a spiritual element to this because Satan will exploit any weakness that any of us show. And he'll try to disrupt our relationship with God. So it's important for us to provide a safe harbor for folks. The, the, the church must provide a safe harbor for those who are suffering in our midst. That's not judgmental. That we haven't already decided how somebody should fix themselves. How they can get right. How they can walk out. But a place where struggles can be voiced. A, people, a place where people can tell their reality. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Mike, I've got to tell you some of my reality. It's going to shock you. I said, man, I, you are not going to shock me anymore. You won't. And I don't want you to think you can because we want to help. Christians need to have somewhere to turn in their depression and it should be in this group right here. The church assembled and those on behalf of who we worship today. Healing comes from a prayerful, loving community that seeks to understand, not fix that seeks to affirm and be with, not solve. We're solvers. But you cannot solve another person's cognitive dissonance. Healing comes from a positive response to our reality. If you receive another person the way they are, they're going to feel they have opportunity to move forward. If you try to make them the way you want them to be, you will have struggle and probably not much opportunity with them after that. Healing comes after Christ's body helps. And I believe that the church of God, the church of Jesus, has a responsibility to lead in regards to mental illness, in educating our culture, and frankly, I think we also need to be lead in helping, understanding the powers that be in the governmental entities, what a crisis we have in Iowa regarding mental health. And, and I want Christians to hear this. Christians do not close the door on medical science. Do not close the door on medical science. See, I believe in the human mind, and I believe that God has given the human mind ultimate freedom, and some, in the freedom, some of those human minds have been drawn towards science, and they have given their lives or been called to a life of finding ways to make life more doable for people. And they have spent their lives in science, 
finding and developing medicinal therapies that will help advance the human condition and the health of the human mind. So don't dismiss or rush, rush to say medication is ruinous. It's no good for you. There are many cases, and I would say millions of cases, many of which I know, some of you have congregants, that medicinal therapy for depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, all these kinds of things have actually been the work of God through science. I'm not going to be willing to divorce myself from those two. So don't rule it out. And speak of hope to the hopeless. Speak and live hope in front of the depressed. Speak and live hope. Help them see that they are normal in the midst of their suffering. That they're normal. That they're part of God's creation and humanity. Relentlessly remind them that you will stick through them. That there's nothing that can tear them apart. Just like God says, hey, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. We have to be able to say our friends and family and say, I love you. I wish this wasn't affecting you. And there's nothing you can do about my love. I'm not going to stop loving you no matter what. I know I can't fix what you got. But I'm not going to stop loving you. And remind them over and over and over again that they're useful to others. And help them see that even in the midst of their darkness, some of what they're doing will glorify God. I got to believe that when Corey Asbury, I don't know him, but when he wrote that song, Reckless Love, I got to believe he can write a song like that because he knows the darkness. People can only sing of the darkness and the light that comes into it if they know the darkness. Somebody that's had flowers and roses their whole life, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's okay. Help the depressed and anxious embrace spiritual disciplines. Please understand this, Christians. Bible reading and prayer is often very difficult for the depressed adult. It's hard. You know, we say, hey, pray and read your Bible. They're like, I want to, but I can't because it's too much. It's guilt-producing. I just can't get the energy to do it. it. That's why we need to partner with people and help them be successful in that. Get them on a version plan that's pretty simple, to, that can build success, that, and we need to partner with people, not cajole them. Please, you know, we have all these Bible study classes in, in, at the church, and, and if, you, if you're trying to recruit somebody that's got some depression to, to a Bible study, you need to learn the Bible, don't put them in Disciple 4. That's like going to, to Theology 500 on your first day. Get them in a 100 class, a real simple thing, so we can say, hey, listen, all you need to read is a couple verses a day and you succeed. You can get into it a little bit further. And even that, you're going to have, if they can do one verse out of three days, that's a win. But we have to, we have to partner with people, not, not cajole them, because that, that leads to their failure. We have to start short and simple and grow success by one thing a day. And sufferers of depression need consistent reminders of Christ's love. Now, here's the warning. Because I agree with, well, I wrote it, so I agree with it, right? I agree with this, but here's the warning. When we say that sufferers of depression need consistent reminders of Christ's love, here's the warning. These may not, and most generally won't, chase away the darkness for someone that's depressed. These will not, and generally won't, cure the depression. These will not, and generally won't, jolt the mind awake with a burst of hope and yet they will reflect Christ's love and maybe maybe they may just be enough to buoy someone up in the midst of their dark and turbulent seas 
are consistent reminders of Christ's love may remind the sufferer who may be unable to trust your words. They might not be able to trust your words right now in the midst of their hopelessness and helplessness that Christ lived and died and rose for them's sake. But we need to speak them continually. And we need to point the depressed to, to objective truths, not subjective truths. So, what, so that, what, what that means is you go real simple in your philosophy, real simple in your theology. We talk about the character of God, not the various attributes and acts of God. We talk about the character of God who is loving and patient and strong and compassionate who holds them tight. We, we talk about the atoning work of Jesus Christ. We, we talk about the fact that, that, that Christ died for us so that we might live. We, we, we talk about the fact that Christ came for us, that we might know him. And just try to buoy them up in the safe harbor of Christianity. We talk about the priestly work of Jesus, that the only way he can be an all-sufficient Savior is that he has known the darkness first. He knows darkness and fear and is quick to encourage and support and not condemn. And we deal with the power of prayer. Because here's the thing about prayer. The Christian community believes that God has given us the influence and the influencing power that when we pray, we influence God's activity. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 5, it says, If any among you is sick, have the elders of the church come together. And by the way, elders of the church are those who come together when it's minus 6 degree wind chill in Iowa. A couple of you even fell, and we're praying for Carrie, who had to go to the hospital because she fell today. It's her ankle, but not her melon, so she's going to be okay, we hope. But, But the elders of the church gather together and pray, and they lay hands on each other so that those might be might be made well. And if need be, and if you have some, rub oil on each other so that the prayers, as it says, of the righteous shall be powerful and effective. So, you know, We've planned this this day to to include this. And so we're going to take what we call in the church just a little ministry time. Now, ministry time is when you just take time and you you create space where we can pray for each other. And so there's three categories of people that I hope we'll pray for right now. And and not be apologetic. If you want to pray out loud, that's fine. If you want to come down here, that's fine. We're not going to have a lot of music or lights or any of that kind of stuff. But if you're a person that's really, really been struggling and fighting with what I'm talking about, Throw yourself down to God and pray. Right here, right now. You don't have to be demonstrative, but if that helps, awesome. If you've got somebody in your family, secondly, that's really struggling with depression, there's no reason not to pray for them now. It's warmer here than anywhere else you're going to go in the next 20 minutes. So throw yourself down to pray for them and pray that, that God, God might heal them, that God might give them a glimmer of hope that you might be useful to them in their struggle against depression and anxiety. And, and you know, if they're here, we don't have to get up and rub oil on them or anything like that, but, but put a hand on their shoulder or put a hand in their hand and do that and just pray. And, and I know, because I'm your pastor, that there's some of you in the room right now. And so I'm going to ask all of you, you know, if you would, there are people in this room that need your prayers because of the fight they're up against. So I'd ask that you just throw yourself before God, you know, such as it was, let's, let's be a prayerful sacrifice to God. We're just going to take a handful of moments, again, just for prayer. So I, I'd, I'm going to be quiet. 
and, and let you pray for yourselves, for others, for this community of faith in their depression and anxiety. Take a minute. Let's pray. Lord, our God, it's we're quiet before you today. We remember that some of us are saying, Lord, have you forgotten us? And for every single person, Lord, that inserts our name when we, when we say, uh, are any among you depressed and we have to insert our name on that blank? We pray right now, Lord, as, as our hearts break, as maybe tears flow and and we wish we could avoid the moment because we know it's us. Remind us, Lord, we're not forgotten. There is nowhere we can go that your arm doesn't reach. There is no place that we can unstick ourselves from you. You are unbreakable. Love for us flows down. No matter how dark and deep it gets into our souls, you don't forget us. You love us. And so, God, we just pray for all of us that are part of Marian Methodists that ache and are broken with depression and anxiety. The National Statistics says it's nearly 20% of us. So we pray for the one out of five of us that's just struggling today, just aching, that every day puts on a facade, goes to work, goes to school, wants to avoid being seen. And we ask, Lord, that that we might be encouraged to know that the people around us that are left and right of us, front and back of us, they care enough that uh, they're praying and we can, we can expose ourselves to them without danger of being harmed more full, further. And God, we do just, gosh, we just hurt so much for the people in our families, the f- people we work with that are so depressed that manifests itself in physical stuff, it, they don't show up at work very often. They get incommunicative. We weep for them, Lord, because their tears won't stop. And so beside them today, Lord, we pray. Uh, through your healing touch, we ask, or maybe even the touch that we're putting on somebody's shoulder or hand right now or leg, that they might know the power of your Holy Spirit and that they might know, first of all, you love them and it's okay to be who they are. 
and what they're walking through is something that you have help for. And while we pray for immediate cures, we also know that those haven't come so quickly before, so we offer ourselves as family members and friends to them, and we know, Lord, that your love is overwhelming, and so we ask, Lord, that you do kick down the wall, you climb up the mountain, that you shine light into their darkness, even just a little bit every single day, Lord, so that they might know they're not alone. And God, we pray for this faith community and the greater community that we're in. That this overwhelming darkness, this cognitive dissonance, this brokenness of mind that is our reality might be something that we acknowledge, that we address, that we don't try to fix, but that we walk with people through it. Lord, we could pray for hours on this subject because we know its wealth is great. But take this little moment of prayer, this little moment of ministry with each other as a symbol. Symbol to you and a reminder to us to pray with more fervence, with more regularity about those who ache and struggle with that. Lord, you've told us that the power, the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. You've told us that our prayers influence you. So, Lord, we want to be influencers on behalf of those who ache and hurt with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Help us, Jesus. Amen.